0: Good evening, listeners, and welcome to the Porchman Dialogues. We're glad to have you back with us.
1: What is up, my friend? How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing well, man. This is, uh, it's been a nice week in terms of been cool evenings sometimes, so it's gonna be quite a temperature shift this weekend, though.
1: Definitely. Looking forward to the cooler temperatures, uh, coming up. Hopefully some fall weather moving in. I, uh... Got out on the golf course a couple times this week, so I certainly cannot complain about that at all. Times are times are good. Times are life is as good as it could be, I guess, so. That's nice to hear. Yeah,
0: it's been just another simple week in 2020. So let's just uh, get into the last week. There's been a lot going on this week in the soccer world. I think tonight we will start with the transfer roundup in a contrast to last week. Manchester United has been <laughs> active <laughs> this week, so I'm gonna let you lead off this week and update us on what's been going on with the club.
1: I appreciate that, man, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to have a little bit more to uh contribute to this section than the uh 10 or 15 seconds of silence uh that happened last week, but uh, let's get it rolling, man. So, uh, Do- Donnie Vanderbeek was the uh first signing of uh, the United transfer window overall. I like the move. Uh, I think we got him for a great price. I'm excited to see how he's going to fit in uh, to the midfield. Obviously, uh, a little bit more of an offensive-minded midfielder, but can play box-to-box. I think one of the biggest things is it strengthens our depth in the center midfield, which we definitely needed. You know, we're getting to a point where the the Juan Matas and the Andres Pereiras of the world just aren't cutting it for us anymore. And we're getting a quality young player, I think, with a, a lot of upside. Just reading a lot about his move... After it went down, you know, finding out that not only last summer but in January, Real had agreed or deals agreed both windows, took it up to the medicals and then ended up not because of the medicals and never got to that point, but ended up pulling out of the move both times. Hmm. I think he's probably someone our, or uh, Barcelona would have looked at as well with uh, Ronald Koeman obviously as the new coach there. I just uh, I think we got a great player for a good value, good bargain. Again, it's going to be interesting to see the way he fits in to everything. But I'm happy, you know. You hear the thing that changed his mind was a, a Facetime with Oli about really how we're going to use you and how you're going to fit into this club and what we ideally think is uh, going to be the the picture or the story moving forward. Um, one of kind of my general themes talking about United tonight is going to be. A little bit of the way they're trying to change the locker room and just the presence of the team in general and really get guys who want to be here for the badge that maybe won't necessarily be the biggest and the best name that they could have went out and got. But it's going to be someone that's going to come in here and fight and and give it their all. So That's
0: huge in any locker room. I've talked about mentality before where it's a choice and a club is only as strong as the collective will to be a group that fights for each other and also in their own individual roles when they're out on the field. And that is a different demographic of players. Some players want to go out and they want to idolize themselves. They want to show their own talents for the sake of that, not for the sake of plugging it into the goal to win as a team. And so that's a big thing that top clubs still have to remember is that you can get big names, but if they don't have the mind behind it, then there's going to be a bit of a pitfall there at some point.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, naturally a club like United that's got a lot of money um, can attract those type of players, right? Especially coming to England because you're going to make more salary-wise than you're going to make in other countries. And, you know, I, I think about their transfer policies in the seven years since Ferguson has been gone. And especially those first four or five years, it was basically just go out and get the biggest name that you possibly can. And yeah, we can get marketing dollars from them and all of this. But we saw it time and time again where these people just didn't look committed. Whether it was Di De Maria, Depay. Depay, Falcao, Alexis Sanchez, These people came in, they're huge, huge names that all United fans were excited about. But you could clearly see that there was something wrong here, right? There was some sort of disconnect where these guys aren't playing like the United players that I watched growing up. And uh, it's crazy that, and it's just kind of the world we live in nowadays, right? That people don't think about histories of, of clubs and think about what an honor it is to be at a place. I think at least someone like Memphis gets it now. And he, you know, self-admittedly has said it was his fault, and all of a sudden he came into all this money and thought he was larger than life and all of this, and he forgot that his first duty was to perform on the field, right?
0: He was a bit young. He was susceptible to the allure that an elite lifestyle could bring. You know, you saw him at that age. He was flying on private jets with custom Louis Vuitton or something to that effect. and. His performances on the field weren't matching at the time. And so it was causing valid criticism, especially in such a football crazy culture as what England is.
1: So, yeah. And you got to put it first. And, uh, you know, why we're on the Memphis thing is uh, it's funny, not funny, it's awesome, because I've, I've always been a fan of the guy. I even have his jersey up in my closet that he finally matured and is turning into the player that everyone thought he is and now he's linked with Barcelona. And it's like, I would love to see that guy go to Barcelona and succeed. You know, obviously, I wish it would have happened at United. It didn't, but it's cool to see him learn his lesson and get there. But uh, back to Van Der Beek, I think when I watched some of the the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff of his transfer and watched some of his videos about how he grew up with Ajax and his family had season tickets and, you know, he still would score goals or walk out onto that field and look up at the seat that he sat in as a kid. I think it speaks volumes to the type of person that he is, that he understands what this club gave him, and he respects that, and he always will, but he's ready for the next step in his career, and he's taking it. I think one of the biggest signs about the type of person he is is the number that he chose. It's
0: not a typical one.
1: It's definitely not a typical one, but even you not being a United fan, I think you know why he chose the number 34.
0: Right. He had to tip his cap to a fellow player from the Ajax Academy, Abdelak Nouri. He's also you know, affectionately known as Api Nouri, and he was a really bright talent going through the Ajax Academy. And tragically, during the season where he was starting to debut and get first team minutes, He collapsed from a heart attack and went into a coma. He did come back to consciousness from the coma, but he will never be able to play football
1: again. He has permanent brain damage.
0: Right. He communicates through blinks, and
1: that's Um, about it. To add to that, um, not only did he choose the guy's number, uh, they grew up together. They did. Uh, Donnie is one of his brother's best friends. Donnie called his dad to make sure and ask if it was fine for him to wear that number. And I think, again, it just speaks value to the type of person that we're getting, the type of player that we're getting. And I don't question at all whether that guy's going to step out on the field and give everything for the badge. I just don't. You know, it remains to be seen how he'll adapt and get into the Premier League. You know, I obviously am not expecting him to start in two weeks when the season starts, but... We're going to see plenty of them. I'm, I'm happy with the signing. I think we got him. We didn't overspend. Um, you know, this is a bright, young talent that a lot of big clubs are looking at in Europe. I'm happy with it. Um, it took a long time for us to get there, but uh, that sometimes that's the way it works. So
0: Yeah, I, I like the signing as well. And the fact that it arose so quickly and closed in a really quick manner, especially with you mentioned other clubs being linked with him in Europe— the past two windows, there were those relevant uh, Madrid rumors where mm. they wanted to bring him into their midfield. And it wouldn't have surprised me, especially with how quick his rise had been with Ajax in the last few seasons, just showing how hungry and talented that club was.
1: Yeah, and uh, just a little uh, side note jab here. We just picked up a player who actually has more Champions League semifinal goals than Manchester City does in their club <laughs> history. So it's true. Um, yeah. I will take that uh, any day I'm I'm excited about the signing um, It's gonna be great to see What well, very interesting to see how he fits in with Pogba and Fernandez, but again I think it gives us a much-needed depth there at a position that Sometimes it is lacking when we don't have our starters in there. Exactly. So.
0: Yeah, and You talk about someone who will fight for the badge. A lot of people forget that. We're talking about a football club. These started as clubs. They started as clubs that had specific ideals that they wanted to emulate and that they wanted their members to have. And so regardless of how money can cloud that throughout time, there are still these aims of clubs to bring in a certain cut of cloth that will contribute to them growing and winning and achieving everything that they want to. And it comes with just that type of profile of player that wants to work and not just want to show off what they can do.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm pretty confident after what I read this week, especially regarding this situation, but some of the other situations that done are the days where United are just signing people because of their name, right? done are the days where United are signing people because you can come here. And the only reason you want to come here is your contract will double or triple. Um, that's no longer good enough anymore. And I'm confident that we have the coach. That's not going to allow that. I understand the other side, the marketing side, I do marketing for a living, but it hasn't worked out for seven seasons and we need to make a change. And I think we're finally starting, starting to see that. And I'll touch a little bit more on that when we're wrapping up this United section here in a second. But, uh, Moving on to some of the rumors and stuff that are still kind of floating around out there, I will say the uh, closest one that I think w- we have in the works right now is going to be Sergio Regulon, Currently Real Madrid player, but was loaned out to Sevilla last year. Uh, not surprising that we're linked with him two weeks after he just ripped us apart in <laughs> a Europa League uh, semifinal final from what I saw and actually I believe I saw it confirmed by uh, Fab Romano yesterday was that Real are offering up for 25 to 30 I think it would be a quality buy at left back Uh, the kid is super pacey to me the biggest thing is it's going to be someone behind Luke Shaw to push him to finally say you know dude you're 23 24 years old you've shown at times but you're not consistent Uh, it's time to be pushed it's time for someone to hold your feet to the fire to either say you're going to be the starter at this club or you're not. You know, I think Brandon Williams was that for a little bit, but he's right-footed, so more naturally he belongs at right-back rather than left-back. To me, Shaw at times has gotten too comfortable, and I think this would be a quality buy at, again, another quality price to be able to plug him in. I think the biggest question marks with this right now are... Real may get rid of him for 20 or 30, but are they going to try and activate buyback clauses? Are they going to try and put stuff in there where, hey, cool, he can come to United, but if he blows up, we're going to be able to buy him back. And I'm sorry, I understand we're maybe not at Real Madrid's level right now competitive-wise, but there's no way we're going to touch a deal where they control his future. And that is the one thing that I could see holding up this deal and I don't think it's an absolute necessity buy for us. I think uh, center back and right wing are the two necessity spots that we need to do now after we got a center mid. Um, a guy who I've talked about, I think the last two weeks we've done this, Opamikano from
0: Leipzig. From
1: what I'm getting out of it, Ole's trying to convince the board to splash the cash. Uh, he recently signed a new contract extension with Leipzig, which gave him, it gave him a 42 million euro release clause, but that doesn't get activated until next year. Okay. But his previous release clause was 50, so we're assuming that we could probably get him in that range of 42 to 50. Right. Right. And I understand how the board is a little apprehensive about spending that money on a 21-year-old, but I think the guy proved, especially towards the end of the season, He's going to be one of the top center backs in the world for a long time. Ole wants him. I can tell you Ole wants him. It's just whether the board is going to get it done or not. He
0: knows how to operate in a fast-tempo offense, which requires a lot of quick decision-making. So in a league that requires that at a base level and that a lot of players from slower leagues struggle with when they come to the Premier League, him being in an outlier offense in the Bundesliga that has that quick-tempo, high-press offense will only serve as a bit of a, a transition aid for him if he does make that move to the Premier League.
1: Well, yeah, and we also have Lindelof right now, who could start in the beginning. We don't, you know, Upamecano wouldn't have to come and start right away, right? But I think he's a long-term solution to who you're pairing with Harry Maguire, Right. I would love the signing. Obviously, I've raved about him for a couple weeks now. I think he's a great player. A French player, obviously. We got a couple of those on the team, so that connection would be there, that entire thing. It's going to be interesting to see. We're going to end up getting a center back, whether it's him or someone else. I don't know. Um, That kind of remains to be seen. Um, One of the other rumors that's floating around right now is good old Thiago. Thiago Alcantara from
0: Bayern. Bayern. One of the most... Classic types of midfielders you can imagine in terms of an all-rounder, but at an elite level.
1: I mean, it's a perfect Spanish midfielder, and we've seen him our entire lives, right? Mm -hmm. With Iniesta and Javi, and I'm not putting him in that level, but he's the same type of mold. He's in the
0: echelon of, like, Zaul Mm -hmm. and, you know, that type of capable, calm composed midfielder that can carry the ball can thrive under pressure and also has an end product
1: and here here's the funny thing too is a lot of people don't remember this but before he went to Bayern he was the summer before he went to ended up going to Bayern he was heavily rumored with us to the point of where there was a Euro that summer in De Gea when he left the Euros gave Thiago a bowl and rode on it see you in Manchester there were social media pics with it, everything from Thiago's side. We all thought it was a done deal, and obviously it ended up not happening, and I believe it was Moyes at the time. The biggest thing that I'm hearing now, obviously I think Liverpool's been linked to him more than anyone. Liverpool doesn't want to pay the $30 million. I think we we would be fine paying the $30 million, and honestly I wouldn't mind that at this point. Apparently he's had two conversations with Oli about the wage demands and bringing them down, and uh Again, kind of just rounding out the theme of, you know, we want you here because you want to be part of this project, not because, you know, we can pay you more money than Bayern Munich. So obviously it would be a great signing. I don't think we need the guy. I would certainly welcome it with open arms if we ended up pulling it out. Um, My next man on the list is someone that I wish we weren't going to have to talk about right now. Hmm. And honestly, when I read the first article this morning, I didn't think anything about it because this guy gets talked about every transfer window. But then I saw something on his own uh, social media, which he's done numerous times over the past two to three seasons, uh, which is why I'm bringing it up. So one of the first articles I read after waking up this morning and making some coffee was an article out of Italy about Pogba now, Paul Pogba now stalling on his contract extension talks with United because he wants to run his contract down and then go back to Juventus to play for Pirlo. So... Like many times that I've read articles about Paul Pogba, I took it with a grain of salt. That is what it is. Maybe five minutes later, I pick up my phone, and I happen to be on Snapchat, and Paul Pogba has a post. And the post is a picture of him and Pirlo hugging as players with an hourglass. So, I wasn't going to talk about this because I thought it was a non-starter, but apparently it's not. And this is now, I counted it up this morning, this is now... The fourth time in the past two seasons where the first time it was a Photoshop picture of him in a Barcelona uniform, which he posted. Then two times of him in a Real Madrid jersey with hourglasses and all of that. So here's my thing where I'm at with it. I love Paul Pogba. I think he's a quality player. I've had arguments with some of your good friends about the quality that he brings to the squad and everything like that. But I'm at a point right now where it's, to me, downright disrespectful to be posting things like that. And right now we're at this kind of crossroads that I've talked about where it's like, you either want to be here or you don't. And if Paul Pogba doesn't want to be here, then we need to sell him for 80 or 90 or 100 million and get rid of him and reinvest it in players that want to be here. That's fair. And we made the mistake with him the first time, letting him go. And if this is truly how he feels and he doesn't want to be here and he's stalling now on renewing his contract, then go. It's a rip-the-band-aid type of situation. Yep. And especially after last season, and I know he was hurt, but, I mean, he basically did nothing after he came back. And uh, I know the quality's there. He's a great center mid, one of the tops in the entire world. But again, man, if you don't want to be here, then leave. But also don't do it disrespectful to a club that had you as a youth player. That's, I think, the thing that bothers me most.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of an indirect, passive-aggressive way of going about it. And it's just a matter of if you want this much control over your destiny, then have a tough conversation to get it over with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Keep it private. Tell the club you want to leave. We say, okay, if someone pays the price we want, then we'll let you leave. And obviously, the, I mean, the guy will demand a premium, and that's fine. If you Venice want to pay that, then that's fine.
0: It seems as though he chooses when he wants to be in top form and he must not feel as though... I don't know what his allure is with Juventus. I don't know what the appeal is. I don't know if he's just looking at the past in rose-colored glasses and seeing that as when he was young and allowed the freedom to just kind of be... A fluid midfielder that didn't have to track back as much and that was fun mm-hmm. and he wound up overlapping with Mourinho who demanded more balance from him yeah. and then it became a battle of wills and then the battle of wills turned into this principal thing of making sure that he was perceived as coming out on top and things have been better under Oli. I don't think Oli has done anything wrong or put a foot wrong in terms of being combative or inciting any sort of arguments that otherwise have occurred with other managers that Pogba has interacted with. But yeah, I I feel the same way in that if you want to be this level of footballer and you're unhappy where you are, then show that you are that level and have that level of difficult conversation Mm -hmm. to actually steer your fate towards where you want it to be you've
1: already left this club one time right like you were mature enough to do it at 18 years old Mm -hmm. why aren't you mature enough to do it now at 27 years old right that's that's my thing and like and again like the fact that he does it knowing that he has united fans that are seeing it it's i don't know man I, i just again i guess to each his own it wouldn't be the way that i would go about it and i think to kind of wrap this section up and it goes into what i've been talking about this entire time is the locker room dynamic and getting players there that actually want to be there. And we've seen a change under Oli. There was some Alexis Sanchez news that came out this week. Uh first from Alexis's side was I went to one practice and then I came home and asked my agent if I could tear it up and go back to Arsenal. So whether that wasn't he didn't like Mourinho's way of practicing or he didn't think he was going to fit in with the squad or whatever it was He didn't want to expound on that at all. But, you know, at the end of the day, dude, you took a basically a free transfer to us because we swapped him for McTatarian, right? We paid you over 400,000 pounds a week. And we did that for six months and you scored three times. Pretty grim. One assist. And then... Coming to find out from the United side how much drama that caused behind the scenes and how much locker room kind of dissension was going on. And you could tell. I I remember watching United at so many times being like, what? There's something wrong. You can just see there's something wrong. I remember having the conversations with my dad. I remember having the conversations with your older brother, Matt, of like, there's something. And it seems like this may have been it. These guys are looking, knowing the money that they're paying this guy, and he's not performing. And we kind of talked about this earlier. It bled into the De Gea contract negotiations where it's like, look, man, I mean, I'm out there every day performing, and you're paying this guy 400000 a week to not do anything. And they knew this summer, priority number one is like, yeah, we want Jaden Sancho, and we're still working on that, but we need to get this guy off of our books because he's ruining the wage structure of this team, and he's also affecting the way this team's chemistry works.
0: It would have been different if he was actually putting up numbers to validate it, and then the players around him would have seen that there was some sort of a trade-off for him having those wages, but when those wages just go into a black hole and there's no evidence of a positive benefit to him being there then that's going to have a disproportionate impact on multiple players of a world-class level who are all aware of how much he's getting paid compared to you who are getting infinitely more minutes and offensive output as well. goals assists, chances created, all of that. And he wasn't, and it was just kind of a cliff. And it's hard to ignore that in this interconnected information age
1: yeah and uh you know i'll just kind of wrap it up with man i think we're we've been at a crossroads as a club for the past year and i think we're finally getting to the point where ollie is getting it in line with what he wants and even the stuff i'm hearing this summer and i read an article today i'm not going to take players who don't want to be here or want to just come for the wages and I'm fine with that, man. That maybe means that we won't get the biggest names, and that's fine. The, we've, we've tried that for three or four seasons, and obviously it didn't work. So it's time to change direction and go back to the old United ways of, I know we had all these guys that eventually turned out to be stars and the Beckhams and the Skulls and the Giggs and all of this, but all those guys started as youth players. They started there proving themselves and wanting to perform for the badge. And yeah, they eventually became stars and got paid millions of dollars and all of this, but never was the lore of, I want to be there so I can make money and not perform. And hopefully we're getting back to that.
0: Yeah, and I think that this entire 2020 has forced almost everyone in this world to reevaluate what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what they want out of life to begin with. And I think that especially has an impact in sports where so much of what sports is is the kind of collective sum of all these desires that are held by these amazing athletes and where maybe some were distracted beforehand by ego and media and money insert blank here of Mm -hmm. the trappings of this modern world i feel as though There was a lot of reshifting going on, and I'm really excited to see how this season pans out, where maybe there won't be as heavy of that social media lens outside of the matches on a day-to-day basis, because ideally more of these guys are gonna get a little bit more old-school minded about, I'm a professional to perform. I'm blessed to have this opportunity. I'm at this club want to win especially if I'm at the best clubs let's not waste time let's get into a rocky four training montage mm-hmm. mentality and I really am looking forward to the top six race this year
1: yeah it's gonna be great especially with the way teams are you know kind of bolstering up their squads and you can see like there's there's gonna be probably six to eight teams that are really gonna go after it this year and it's gonna be exciting and the best part is is it starts in one week one so, week, your birthday. My birthday, September 12th, a week from today. So I'm excited for it, man. It's uh, it's great to have the quick turnaround. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah, man, so I think that pretty much uh, wraps it up for the United News. Uh, you want to talk some Spurs now?
0: Yeah, we have a little bit that went on this week. I had brought up last week that all signs were pointing to us finalizing the Matt Daugherty transfer from Wolves and that. Is now official medical was completed contract is signed and he has already shipped out to do a little bit of international duty with Republic of Ireland and I'm really excited for him to really get training with us because again we've talked about uh, the Mourinho mentality and I really think that he's actively looking forward to training with us so
1: that I will, I will, if I can interject for a second, the if if you are ready to move on from the Doherty thing. I will I will add, absolutely posted one of the best videos I've ever seen on Twitter. And obviously, I sent it to you. Fans out there, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. He had made some previous tweets about loving Arsenal. And obviously, now comes to a rival club. Um, just played it up well, man. I, I just... I love seeing clubs, I love seeing players do things like that. It's at the end of the day, man, like everyone's human. I like, think we we all feel these certain ways. You know, I'm sure you as a Spurs fan aren't gonna question knowing that he made these tweets about Arsenal or anything like that. But I dude, props to you, is he was absolutely a great sport about it. He did it in the right way, it was funny, it was great anyone who hasn't seen it go check it out it's it's hilarious
0: they balanced it really well they brought it up they made it known they didn't hide from it and then they did it in a really humorous way and it like you said it showed a human side it showed that they wanted to have fun with it addressing it putting it behind them burying the hatchet whatever term you want to put to it and it was just really well done
1: yeah it was great
0: uh look it up kind of see how soccer is starting to implement social media just to, you know, kind of bridge that gap a little bit more. So uh, looking forward to him showing up Um, that then kind of has the trade-off of our other right back, Serge Aurier. He is most likely going to be moving on. The strongest links are to Milan and Bayer Leverkusen and Monaco We seem to have more conversations with Milan from what I've seen in the last week. There's a difference in valuation that's going to happen with us. We're notoriously stubborn when it comes to how we value our players. And so I think it's going to get across the line. I think he wants the move as well. I don't fault him for it. Mm -hmm. He came to us for the 17-18 season and... He has his faults, he has his flaws, but I like him as a person. He's grown on me, and you see him a little bit in the new Amazon docuseries that just debuted last week, All or Nothing. I'll get into that here in a little bit. Another quick little mention of center back rumors that I've mentioned in the past, a new name that I hadn't brought up in the last few weeks, but it is... Uh, player from the Chinese League, Kim Min Jae. He plays for Beijing Guoan, but he's actually South Korean. And so that's where it has a little bit more traction just because we have uh, Min Son who would be able to kind of help convince.
1: And here I was hoping that you were going to say that you guys were bringing back Vlad Kirakesh. That Mad, was my hope.
0: Mad Vlad?
1: <laughs> Mad Vlad. Obviously joking. But uh it'll be interesting, man, to see if you guys can tap into that market um again. I think it's you know, it's something that a lot of bigger clubs have been trying to do over the years. Even United starting back with three Lung park, you know what I mean? It's um it's something I hate to say this that they know they, they want to do marketing wise, but you're getting players to the level now. And Sonny is the perfect example of it, of being able to come in and play it at an elite level and be one of the best players on the team. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, if that pans out, man.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. A lot of Chinese Super League players are written off the actual league players themselves, not the European cast-offs that come into the league who are perfectly quality players, but they go there for the money that was around for a handful of years and was just getting kind of passed out like it was going out of style they have interesting rules for foreign players in the chinese super league they don't really allow for a lot of non-chinese players which is why you see the european guys usually being the only non-chinese players at these clubs but with kim min-jae being south korean He's a bit of an outlier in that there aren't very many other Asian nationality players that take up these non-Chinese spots in these Super League rosters. So he also has a nickname; they call him Monster. Mm-hmm. I guess he measures out at about six three, six four, something like that. He's kind of got the build of a Harry Maguire, kind of like an, uh, he's like a Chinese slab head in a way. Mm-hmm. Does he uh, fight cops as well? <laughs> he has never too, been to Mykonos. <laughs> too so. soon. Too soon. <laughs> no, it's never too soon. Never too soon. He's never been to Mykonos. Um, so Harry Maguire needs to listen to some Fleet Foxes, by the way. They have a song called Mykonos that he needs to listen to and chill out a little bit. Um, and <laughs> no. So that's uh, it's that's an interesting prospect to see if that gets over the line because It would be a marketing thing, but he would be a legitimate prospect as well because he is, relatively speaking, a top defensive talent in that league. So that and just kind of rounding things out, we are, as of today, seeing a little bit more concrete rumors that we are actively pursuing striker targets. We've had kind of this tendency in the last seasons of transfer windows to be linked with Callum Wilson mm-hmm. from Bournemouth, who, mm-hmm. I've, who I've brought up before, and I do like him. But what's funny is that, according to numerous reliable Spurs sources, there really hasn't been any formal contact with him or his representatives. So it just kind of ties in to how interesting the transfer window can be, where these rumors can be created, but there's actually nothing of substance behind them other than someone choosing to write them down
1: well yeah and I think it kind of harkens back to what we wrapped up with last week of there's so few number of journalists out there that actually provide reliable information and like it's always been like this with United for me but I you know I've we've had the conversations about Spurs getting bigger and getting you know more of this worldly type club feel of like you're just going to have these outrageous things happen all the time now or these outrageous stories. And, like, yeah, I think Callum Wilson would be a great buy for you guys. You've been looking for a backup striker for several years. We always make the Johnson jokes. We've made them already on this podcast a couple episodes back. Um, Harry is phenomenal, but he can't play every single match. You know what I mean? And, you know, with you guys being in Europa, you're going to end up playing close to 60 matches, and one guy can't do that, you know? And I, I get that. You can plug Sun in or do this, but you need a good quality backup striker, you know. Obviously, I think you would want a younger guy, but it doesn't always have to be that. It'll just be interesting. And, you know, I think I brought it up a couple weeks ago and he plays for Bournemouth as well, which would be Joshua King, which I think would also be a great fit kind of in that backup role. You know, a serviceable guy that can come in and score some goals and some lesser matches when you need them.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who we bring in because I saw a quick little graphic that showed how our true center forward collection at Spurs has gradually dwindled over the last five, six, seven seasons. We did used to play with two up front. So it used to be Berbatov, Keen, and... Jermaine Defoe. Jermaine Defoe. Oh. Uh, Roman Pavlichenko, who wasn't really anything to write home about. He had flashes mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. I remember. Um, and so Roberto Zodato and Emmanuel oh, okay. Adebayor. What
1: a terrible story Soldado was.
0: That's just he, heartbreaking, man. He should have been so much better, but that's just where life gets in the way. He had all the reason to make a move from Valencia, Villarreal is where he was from, the yellow submarine. Mm -hmm. He came from Villarreal to Spurs as just a smaller pacey darting forward, lost his child.
1: Yeah, I think it was like the first first or second week of the season too.
0: And that will ruin anyone's outlook on life and how they perceive what they're doing in the world and... His performances just were never the same. And we supported him. We moved him on. He still loves us because he knows that we supported him through a really tough time, but we've been victim of making moves for backup strikers, but they just haven't panned out for these crazy reasons. So that was a personal reason yeah. in Roberto Soldado's case. Mm-hmm. Vincent Jansen, we got from Azad Al mm-hmm. who was one of the brightest striker talents in that league. And we've seen players from the Edevizie, you know, kind of burn out, but. He was victim of being thrown into the fire too soon. Mm -hmm. Harry got injured one of the first weeks of the season. So it's basically, hey, Vinny, we just got you here. Mm -hmm. You're our main guy. What's funny is that he was really good at hold-up play. He knew how to hold on to the ball, keep it close to his body, and Mm -hmm. dish it off. He just couldn't get a goal in. And he had all these shots on target, but Mm -hmm. they would get saved. So it was that crazy cocktail of confidence not starting off at an early enough point because he didn't get a goal early enough to start building that boulder of
1: well and that's the thing you know I think it it takes a lot for every player to come to that league and get adjusted and if you get thrown into the fire and score right away then all of a sudden you know you can get the ball rolling a little bit but when you come in and get thrown into it and then you have three, four, five, six matches and it ended up being a lot for him where he didn't score, it just, it starts weighing on you, you know? And, uh, it's a tough competitive league to play in. Very rarely do you see players come in and just, you know, hit the ground running right away and and make a huge difference right off the bat. I think that was kind of so surprising that the way Bruno did it this year for us, because he just stepped in and did it. But, um, you guys have tried time and time again, just, and it's, it's crazy too, because it's like, you're not even looking for that marquee player, right? You already have that in Harry Kane. You already have a guy who gets 20 plus goals a year. It's like, just give us some sort of quality to back this man up where we know we can plug in and you'll score five, 10 goals a year.
0: Right, so with today having some developments that we are actively pursuing striker links, one that has a little bit of traction that I have a little bit more reason to believe just because of the sources it's coming from, we are looking into Habib Diallo from FC Mets. And it's a Ligue 1 side, and in 26 appearances last year, he had... 12 goals and 3 assists, mm-hmm. which for a younger striker, he's 25, uh, he's uh, from Senegal, I'll take it. I mean, we yeah. have to get someone. We yeah. have to get a body. And uh, Hyunmin son is a very capable forward striking option, but he's not a week-in, week-out, potential like-for-like replacement. He's just a different style of that striker role. So
1: Well, and he plays so well with Harry, right? Is you would rather have them both on the field with Sun coming off the wing than you would having him sit there and be Harry's replacement. You know what I mean? It just it doesn't have a sustainable effect over an entire season. You know exactly. it just
0: doesn't. So with Diallo, if that were to hypothetically go through, we'd probably be getting him for about ten to fifteen million pounds or so, which is a respectable fee to pay for that role when you know that Harry is going to be getting the the lion's share. Yeah. No pun intended, being a England's starting yeah. striker and captain. So, yeah, that's essentially the summary of what's gone on in our last week of transfers. Another big thing that happened this week is that All or Nothing docuseries that I mentioned that Amazon just released, and they've done it in the past. They did it last season with Manchester City, I believe, or maybe two seasons ago, but they've also done another type of docuseries with Leeds United called Take Me Home, and that's a really good series as well that I can easily recommend. So they released three episodes this past week. They're going to release another three on Monday, and then the last three the following Monday. So it kind of goes really quick in the first episode. they kind of summarized the Pochettino beginning of the season, Mourinho coming in, and it's a really good watch for anyone who wants to see how a modern club operates behind the scenes at the top level, and how human of an outlook there is when there's so much on the line still.
1: Yeah, and I I just I always love documentaries or shows like this because... Especially as like a a true soccer fan, like you always wonder what that behind the scenes are like, and then with a personality like Jose, um, which you know,
0: it's very I, much the uh, Mourinho show. Yeah, of course, episodes. of course. And
1: I I, uh, I I've talked about my admiration for the guy in previous episodes, so I'll I'll definitely be checking it out. I promise you, I'll. Uh, I'll get caught up so we can uh, talk about some of the relevant stuff that we see uh, throughout that series and everything like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just been fun to see a club that I love and that I like to think I know a lot about. I like filling in the blanks of things that I had hints of in the past of who these guys are as people and Mm -hmm. what drives them, what inspires them, Mm -hmm. and... It's really fascinating to see their differences and how they express themselves to the camera and not that that should be an end-all be-all filter for how these guys you know are but it is just kind of interesting to see that side of them Well, you know?
1: yeah you, you see a little bit of humility and I mean to go along with the tweet that we talked about earlier like you see a human side of these guys right like yeah you, you see them play. 50, 60 times a year when you you when you follow clubs like you and I do and we watch, you know, 97, 98% of the matches that happen throughout a year, you know, you feel like you have a connection with these guys and stuff like this, but then when you watch something along these lines where it shows, you know, these guys at the end of the day are just like you and I. They just happen to be really, 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 really good at soccer, you know? Really good. Yeah,
0: and it's easy to forget that When they're really, really, really good at soccer, that doesn't mean that they're really, really, really intelligent either. (laughs) So they kind of show other things, too, where you're like, okay, I don't need to idolize them. (laughs) Yes, right? Exactly. So it is a very healthy show in that regard. So um, that was another thing that debuted for us this week. And then just kind of some boring um, infrastructure type of news. There's a little bit of a reshift in our kind of our our transfer board in a way we brought in trevor birch from swansea who has had roles at other really big clubs in england and isn't so much of a day in day out with the team type of person so much as yeah an infrastructure guy who knows how to organize a club and people and academy youth and the resources that have to be allocated to all of these people that work for the club and so it's a bit of a reallocation of responsibilities so that Daniel Levy doesn't have to be as integrated with all of these different facets of how Tottenham Hotspur as a club has their actions on a daily basis and all these different levels of decision making and so that'll be good for him so he can focus on what his strengths are and then one of our top scouts Steve Hitchin has been given more of a director of football role I've brought up Luis Campos from Mm Lille in one of our first episodes but it seems as though Mourinho really likes Steve Hitchin that they really collaborate well Mm -hmm. and I feel as though Mourinho was a little bit behind having Steve Hitchin get this
1: bit of a promotion. Just if I could add one thing, I think it's uh, it's easy f- for people to forget how big these clubs are. And uh, I don't know if you know a number off the top of your head. I didn't know United's number until COVID happened and they didn't lay anyone off. But a club like Manchester United employs 900 plus people. And you gotta have, you know, it's not, oh, I have one guy who just oversees it all. You know, and uh, you talking about bringing in a Trevor Birch or someone like that to alleviate some of the things that maybe Levy's going through or whatever. It just again, I I don't think your average everyday person who sits down and watches the EPL on Saturday realizes that the club that I follow is employing 800, 900 people. Right, Spurs it's a, is it's a big about
0: six, seven hundred or yeah. so that they bring it up in Amazon where. That's, you don't want to say, it's not a business, it's, it is an entity. Mm -hmm. It it has people that give their time and their lives to making sure that it operates at the level it needs to, to reach the goals that it needs to in order to keep competing and living and breathing. So yeah, I I love these types of behind the scenes nervous system types of decisions Mm -hmm. that lead to long-term fundamental change in approach that then has its manifestations and smaller decisions that lead to more immediate results within a season or within a campaign of a certain competition. So, yeah, I had to bring that up just because, you know, it, it was exciting to see that kind of show up after all these years of knowing that eventually it would have to happen anyway. So I'll also just kind of do a quick uh, recap of another club that Spurs has become kind of intertwined with in Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers, for those who aren't sure why we're just talking about wild animals all of a sudden. (laughs) So, yeah, Wolverhampton Wanderers, they're a very historic, classic English club. They've been champions of Europe in the 70s, and they've had a rebirth in the last few seasons in the top flight in the Premier League. And so they have a very strong Portuguese contingency. They just completed a transfer. Today they got over the line and Fabio Silva, who's a really bright talent from FC Porto in Portugal, and they got him for 40 million euro, mm-hmm. I believe, yep. which is the same amount that United got Van uh, de for Correct. as well. So, yep. yeah, that's just kind of an exciting signing to see how he works in this league
1: well and to go along with what we talked about last week with mendez you know he's it's kind of crazy to look at it this way but it's he's almost creating like a farm team for people that he's the agent of and the thing is is like he's not forcing them to take bad players like they are a good team and like we talked about it last week they've given united trouble now for two three seasons in a row
0: they're almost surplus and taken for granted players in Portugal mm-hmm. where they feel as though they have this wealth of talent that they have the luxury of choosing from but ultimately these guys want to have careers.
1: Well, and I think what I like about their team right now is especially you do look at there's probably two or three players that I could think of off the top of my head and Ruben Neves, Yota,
0: Traoré. Yeah, Traoré, Jimenez. Th-
1: those yeah, and I guess I was looking at more of You have guys right now that could go to much bigger clubs and play. All four of those guys we just mentioned could be at way bigger clubs. But it's this thing of they understand, I'm at a place where I can play, and I play 90% of the matches throughout the season, and they're making an impact. And what did they, I mean, I could look it up really quick. What did they finish, 8th? Seventh? Seventh? Seventh. Right behind
0: us. We've yeah. pipped them at the end for sixth place. Yeah. And
1: does that, it gets them, yeah, they're in Europa and they were in. They're in the, qualification yeah, they're stages yeah. similar as and, us, I believe. And they'll be fine, right? They got to go to Kazakhstan or wherever, Siberia or wherever. Or I saw your Azerbaijan, guys' Yeah, whatever. your guys' matches aren't going to be fun. Ours weren't last year. We're either. going to Bulgaria. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even in Europa last year, they got into the quarterfinals and I was actually happy to see them get bounced because I didn't want to play them. <laughs> In the semifinals or the finals. So it's it's just interesting to see one agent have such an impact on one club. And maybe it's happened before in football history. I would guess probably not. But again, they're getting quality, quality players there. Absolutely quality players. I guess why we're kind of talking about the transfer thing. And this video came up to me this week. And it would have been great to talk about it last week. But... It actually just came out two days ago. It was uh, published on September 3rd. But one of my absolute favorite uh, YouTube channels to follow is a channel called Tifo Football. Uh, For anyone out there that doesn't follow that or hasn't checked out any of their videos, uh, please do. It's absolutely quality work. And
0: really, if you're trying to learn about soccer for the first time and you're trying to get your feet wet about how to even understand the nuances of how the sport operates, whether it's how teams play or how teams even get players. They really have a great way of breaking down subjects visually and with concise talking points.
1: Well, and to add on to the visual thing, uh, that's one of the things that appealed to me so much in the beginning, and maybe this is the kid in me or whatever, but their videos are all illustrated, mm-hmm. and they're actually done really, really well. Yeah. And the quality is there. And I had recently got back into them and didn't even realize that they were connected with one of my other favorite publications that we've mentioned on here before. And for me, when it comes to American sports publications, nothing touches the athletic and... Uh, to see that TIFO football was now working with the athletic and stuff like that, it just uh, it was uh, a marriage of two things that I already loved, you know, and it was awesome. But either way, back to the video. It, it it played on what we talked about this week, but a lot more, I think, of what we touched on last week. And the uh, the video is called "The Hidden Factors Behind Football Transfers." It's a quick, I think, five five minutes, fifty seconds, close to six minute video that actually goes through. I think all the scenarios they talk about are actual real life scenarios. They only mention a couple players. Some of them are just, hey, we're not going to mention the player, but this is the situation that happened. And I think it opens up a lot of people's eyes to what actually goes into a transfer and what goes into convincing someone to take a club. I made some jokes about, you know, PS4 and FIFA career mode last week. Like, yeah, we've all done it. We've all had these dream signings and all of this. That's not the way it, it works in real life. Um, again, it's just a quick six-minute video. Touches on a lot of things. Uh, funny enough, goes into what we'll wrap the show up with, but it touched on some things about how much you know family can affect a transfer or how much kids not wanting to leave a school or not wanting to leave the place that they were born in. Um, These very
0: sentimental reasons that you wouldn't expect grown... Athletes to take into account with their futures.
1: Well, and it goes back to the human factor, right? This exactly. is the third time we brought that up. Sometimes we forget, we look at these guys as just soccer stars, football stars, and they're not real people and they don't have families and feelings and all of this. And like, they do. They do. This video actually talked about, especially one thing that was related to United that I had never even heard before. And uh, Andrew also talked to me about a situation that he'll touch on. As well, But it was an uh, Aaron Ramsey transfer a couple years ago when he was 18, 19 years old. And United was looking at him. Arsenal was looking at him. Uh, the day that he visited United, uh, Sir Alex wasn't there for whatever reason. Who knows what it was. And uh, the great Mike Phelan, who's still with our club, he's always top assistant right now, toured Ramsey around and gave him the presentation of this is what we see you doing and all of this. And uh, that was it. Arsene Wenger, uh, obviously who was coaching Arsenal at the time, wanted him, uh, was in Switzerland uh, doing commentary for, I believe, an international tournament that was happening that summer. And they went out and flew Ramsey and his parents out there to sit down with him.
0: In Switzerland. I mean, that would impress any young kid, too, to begin with. But there was still, you know, uh, actual content behind it Yeah, this
1: isn't I'm bringing you from wherever you're at in Wales to London. This is hey, I'm on site right now doing my side job over the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fly you out here, sit you down, and then we all know the rest is history, right? Ramsey went to Arsenal, was a great player for him. I would have loved him at United. Again, the video has some interesting kind of stuff like that, and and Andrew, you brought up kind of a similar situation with one of your guys' current Yeah,
0: yeah. It almost makes me wonder if one of the unnamed situations that they brought up was kind of instance I'm going to bring up with one of... Tottenham's own players, and that's Deli who started off his young career with MK Dons, and he kind of had a very quick rise. He was starting in League One, which is two leagues below the Premier League, where Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur both play. So it goes Premier League, the Championship, League One. Delhi was playing for League One side MK Dons back in 2014 to 2015 and was kind of just showing his brash style, surging forward, making goals, making chances, and kind of put on a bit of a clinic against Manchester United at Wembley in front of... Thousands of people showing no fear whatsoever, and so that kind of got him onto the radar of a lot of clubs.
1: That was a 4-0 result, by the way. MK Don's knocking us out of FA Cup.
0: A League One side knocking out one of the top five clubs in world football history with a young 18-year-old kid basically kind of putting two past them, so that's going to make any club notice you when you are doing that even just in one match because that shows inspiration of some sort that you don't see very often so Deli Alley grew up a Liverpool fan more specifically he grew up idolizing Steven Gerrard so in this whole period of time where he was starting to be courted by these bigger clubs he had an appointment with Liverpool he showed up at Anfield or at Melwood, their training ground. I forget which location. And it was his assumption that he was going to be given a tour by Stephen Gerrard. That didn't wind up being the case. I forget who wound up giving him the tour, but it wasn't as inspired of an experience as what he wanted, and it made him feel as though they weren't taking him seriously as a prospect to bring in. So to contrast that, Mauricio Pochettino... ...in his first season was able to convince Delhi that he should come to Spurs... ...because he would be able to guarantee him playing time... ...giving him an idea of how he wanted to use him... ...and the rest is history. We signed him in January or February of 2015. We allowed him to continue the season at MK Dons... ...and then he was fully signed on and started with us in the 15-16 season... And the rest is history.
1: Um, have you ever heard the version of the story? And I actually just brought up the article to make sure I remembered when I was reading. Is that Gerard slept through it?
0: I did remember that, but I didn't want to say it for fear of not remembering correctly.
1: Yeah, I just brought it up, and uh, yeah, it is a Daily Mail article. We but, signed
0: uh, Deliale for five million. God, he only cost five mil, and he's better than Otil
1: yeah that's that is for sure but it's just it's one of those dynamics that i again like (sighs) it's fragile i love these small
0: yet relevant either or scenarios that happen and
1: people just they think it's so easy of we just offer this club money and this is what they accept and then it's fine and we don't have to work on anything with a player or anything and it's it's so much more than that and uh I wish we could hear more of these type of stories, and maybe we will with the prevalence of social media and everything. But uh, again, it's not as easy as just pumping down some cash and now the player is yours. So
0: Right. I guess we can just kind of wrap everything up with transfer sagas with one of the biggest stories the, of the summer. It, the. Not, not one of the biggest. It was the story of this transfer window, Lionel Messi at Barcelona wanting to leave, the contractual disputes that we talked about in our last episode. And there was seemingly what you could call a resolution today.
1: Um, So I I hate to be that guy and say that we called it, but... We (laughs) We called it. We called it. Um, And and I guess, here's the thing. I think part of why I was so confident, or why, and I'm sure it's the same for you, why we were so confident is you know the type of human being that Messi is. And I just could not see him putting up so much of a fight where it would end up tarnishing his legacy at the club that's meant everything to him.
0: Right. I think he wanted, at the end of the day, once more evidence was coming his way, the path of least resistance, where he didn't want things to get ugly and legalized once they really put their foot down on how they were interpreting the contract.
1: For those of you, I know Andrew's watched it. I watched it yesterday. For those of you who haven't watched his interview, sit down and watch it. It's 20, 25 minutes. To me, and honestly, it's kind of almost been the the theme of the the night, encompasses how much of a human he is and how much of an absolute true professional Lionel Messi is. You know, it's... It's funny because we could tie in, you know, he talked about, I talked to my family about it and everyone was crying and his kids didn't want to leave. And I think he said his wife was crying as well. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he said, I can't take the club that means so much to me to court, to force my way out. And this may just be delaying the inevitable, right? Which I, I think at least at this point, he said, either you get your blank in order. This year? Right. Or I'm leaving next year.
0: Right. I think that he has now established an actual timeline for them where he said, I showed you what I wanted to do this summer, Mm -hmm. which means that I'm ready to do it next summer before this technical date that... You say it has to be. I'll be ready for it this time.
1: Well, and you and I both know if COVID hadn't have happened, he wouldn't be at Barcelona right now. With right? the same
0: results that would have happened, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And that's what I mean. And uh, he even said it in the interview. I wasn't going to force it at that point because we were still competing for everything. And I did like how he pointed out, too, this isn't just the 8-2 defeat to Bayern. I mean, he talked about it, right? The club is a mess. There's no plan in place. They've done plug and play for three or four seasons in a row. We talked about it last week. Their average starting age of their or the average age of their starting lineup was thirty in that match. Right, the guy's possibly the greatest player of all time. Give him some ammunition that he can work with, or he's leaving next year. And I, I think maybe thankfully for, for us as two guys who support clubs in the Premier League, it again delays the inevitable of. Him possibly being in the league next year, but that is also one year older, and that's one less year that he would have to be there and compete. And honestly, as a fan standpoint, and I'm not a Barcelona fan by any means, no. but from a fan standpoint, I would love to see him go two or three more seasons there, and then go back to either finishing the MLS...
0: Or he could go back to Argentina and go or, to Newell's Old Boys. Yeah, and go back to Newell's
1: yeah. Old Boys and just end it, right? You have a legendary career of easily the best football player of our generation, possibly of all time. I'll say this. I wasn't surprised, man. When I heard no. the news, I wasn't surprised at all. Knowing who he is as a person, knowing what the club means to him, it sucks that it even had to get to this point, but it's where yeah. we're at.
0: It really was the, the blend of the technicality. And sentimentality that we were talking about last week, where Barcelona would adhere to their interpretation of the contract and Messi would know how much this club meant to him and how much his loyalty would come into the mix as a factor and how he didn't want to get into the mud with the club that gave him everything.
1: Yeah, and I think, sadly, I think Barca kind of preyed on that a little bit, knowing that, hey, this dude, he's not gonna force this to court and he's not gonna he's not gonna make us do this. It's not realistic for anyone to pay seven hundred million. So I don't have seven hundred million. I know I don't. No. So, so. Um, I mean legally, if we're talking about quote unquote FFP, there's no club out there that could pay it. Huh. So Yeah. Um but yeah, man, I think that kind of wraps it up. Uh that's all I got. This that's week. All I got. Man. Um, it's great chatting with you as always. To everyone out there listening, thank you so much. And uh, obviously with the season coming up, you know, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. And uh, we're not far off, man. So We are not.
0: So let's get this all wrapped up. And we'll be talking about Premier League soon enough. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Peace out, guys. Peace out. Cheers.